0: How you guys doing this morning? Is everybody ready to study the Bible? Hear something good? Here's some, the Bible calls it the gospel. That just literally means good news. I don't know about you, but I, I'm ready for some good news in church. How about that? <laughs> so uh, just a quick kind of introduction before I jump into my message. Uh, how many of you guys noticed Karen and I weren't here last week? Anybody? Nobody's like, you know, like Dave who? We don't even know who that guy is. <laughs> Didn't Schmidty do a great job? I, I connected with him afterwards, and Schmidty just said, Man, I love DCF, love your people. He's like, I knew I was gonna, but now I know I did. So he's, he was excited about what God was doing. And I'm excited about what the Lord is doing through translocal people. Um, you know, we just uh, connected with uh, Tyler from Northlands. He and Armando came down for a, a weekend, and he preached into what the church is and what the church does and the fact that you're the church and how God's calling us to be involved in the world. And then he talked about his, his sermon title was Eject and it's time, it's time to get out of this building and get into the world that God created for us. And so I'm gonna be talking about that in just a couple of minutes, uh, doing a series, starting a series called Follow. So I'm gonna jump into that in a second. But just wanted to say, this, the whole time we were away this last weekend, most of you guys knew that we were in uh, Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, for Andrew and Jamie uh, Sharp, they were launching um, the, the first service in a church plant. It was actually a connection with Hope Church. They were planting a campus in Greenville, uh, in Greenville proper in the city. Uh, Hope Church had a campus in um, S- Spartanburg and Simpsonville, and they've been praying for years about opening a campus in the Greenville area and just could not connect with someone to do that. They just didn't have somebody. They felt like God had called to do that. Andrew and Jamie go out to plant a church from DCF. They get there. Um, they begin to plug in, start start like Bible studies, that kind of stuff, You know, gathering people potentially uh, and eventually planting a church out of that. And uh, it just didn't go well in terms of COVID just came and just blew all that out of the water. So they were over there for a couple of years just trying to figure out, Lord, what are you doing? And they never lost hope, never got angry, never got frustrated, never walked away from the plan, never tried to do things that God had not told them to do, which is really amazing. It's just a testimony of their, to their maturity. But as they followed the Lord and learned what he was doing, there was a prophetic word, and I think Karen shared this, there was a prophetic word about their middle daughter, the um Andrew and Jamie's middle daughter, Charlie, that she was going to have a friend that was going to connect them to the purposes of God in Greenville, which is really, really specific, right? We were with them when that happened in Atlanta at a leaders meeting. We heard that prophecy and we're like, That is really specific. And so sure enough, that's exactly what happened. Um, Charlie met with uh, the pastor of Hope Church, that whole area. They had a daughter, and they connected. And when they connected over dinner, they ended up spending something like six or eight hours just talking together about what God was doing in each one of their lives and what God was doing in the church, their plans and their hopes and dreams in the Lord. And so obviously from that, it became this massive movement towards what God was doing to plant a church, from us sending them out and trusting the Lord to do everything he was going to do, and then for them, you know, Hope Church, to come together with them and trust that the Lord was using Andrew and Jamie. So it it all ended in this beautiful, amazing story. Uh, Andrew put it this way. He said, I could not in a million years have written this story. My story would have been so much smaller and less significant than what God did. And one of those things was, was so powerful is they met with one of the churches, uh, Andrew met with one of the church leaders in town from First Assembly of God and found out they didn't have a building and said, what if you used our facility in the afternoons? And so Andrew was able to get a facility. They launched with two services, guys. It was amazing. And there was just tons of people, a lot of them from the campuses, of course. But we're just trusting and praying that what God has begun, he's gonna finish in them, amen? And let me just say this. That's to your credit. Whether you ever gave specifically to Andrew and Jamie, whether you ever, and maybe that was you know way before your time at DCF, but I'm just saying, this is who we are as a church. We plant churches, we reach out, we minister to people, we see lives transformed by seeing grace come on people's lives and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit ministering into them. That's what we do, and that's what's happening in Greenville, and that's to your account. So well done, DCF. You guys did a great job. Let's give yourself the hand. <laughs> you guys are like, what? I didn't do anything. So I'm just excited about what God's doing. Um, eventually we're gonna have Andrew and Jamie come back in. They're gonna share a whole lot more about what God's done in the meantime. So be looking for that. Are you guys ready to start? All right, so I'm starting a series called Follow. So nearly 80% of the nation today, say, according to polls, say that they believe in God. But That means four out of five people in America like God, but the question is, do they actually follow him? So one of the things we discovered, the word Christian, I'm going to give you a math challenge, okay? The word Christian appears how many times in the New Testament? Anybody have any ideas? What do you think? Three times. (laughs) Three times the word Christian appears in the New Testament. Um, It's in Acts 11, Acts 26, and 1 Peter 4. So the word disciple appears how many times, do you think? Three hundred times. Times in the New Testament. So there's just this concept about communication, this fundamental rule on the planet that when something is repeated, it usually has some value and importance. So think about that, that it's so important, discipleship is so important, that literally mentioned 297 more times than the fact that you're a Christian. So the fact that you're a Christian is a wonderful thing. It means Christ-like, it means little Christ. Was, it's where one of the passages talks about in Corinthians that they were first called, or sorry, in uh, 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 Antioch, thank you, they were first called Christians in Antioch and that literally means little Christ, right? So that's a beautiful thing that you are becoming like Jesus, but it's even more important that God called you not just to be a disciple, but in Matthew 28, to actually go and make disciples. So there are 3.2 3. billion people following someone on social media. Anybody follow anybody on social media? <laughs> Bunch of liars. <laughs> All the young people are like, of course, that's what we do, Right? There's 40 per, 42%, that means 42% of the world's total population is following somebody, right? The reason following people on so, social media is so prevalent and so popular is because it's easy. All you have to do is go look at their vacation photos or their food. People take pictures of their food, who knew, right? And you just like it. That's all you do. That's all, I like that, I like that. And you follow them. But you're not really following them, are you? You're actually just following and liking some of the things that they do. So Jesus had, obviously, completely different concept in mind when he talked about people following him the challenge that jesus brings is he wants you to actually draw close he actually wants you to be in intimate fellowship with him the question that we come up again is are you a fan of jesus in other words you just like what he has you know if, if he were, if he had a social media account you'd be liking his pictures or do you actually follow him not in the social media context but follow him in the way that he meant for us to follow him so are you a fan or are you a follower Let me read you a passage. This is Luke 18, 18, we'll just jump right in. It says, a certain ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, and he goes through the list of the commandments. You shall shall not commit adultery, murder, don't steal, you should not give false testimony, honor your mom and dad. All these, he said, I've kept since I was a boy. Verse 22, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing, Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And listen to this, then come and follow me. He said, you need to lay down everything in your life that's in front of me, right? And listen to what the Bible says. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this, his disciples and those around him, asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, we have left all we had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said, no one who has left home or wife or brother or sister or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come in eternal life. So here's the thing about that passage. We, we read that and we say, well, yeah, you know, that's not me because I'm not wealthy. Let me just help you understand how wealth works, okay? Um, we all complain about the 1%, the billionaires. You're like, you know, that nobody should have that much money, right? And there are people in Africa who would look at you and say, nobody should have that much money, Right? They look at me and go, why in the world do you have two cars? I don't, even have, I don't even have one car. Why do you have a house? Why do you have this? Why do you have, how do you have money? How do you, you know, rather than just eat the plain stuff that you get that you just have to eat, why are you eating fancy cheese, right? <laughs> why are you doing this? And so if you're not careful, we, we fall into this lie that there are rich people and then there are me. And what Jesus was saying, and thank God he said this, they said, if that's the case, if rich people can't be saved, then there's no hope for any of us. Because even back then, they recognized that compared to most of the rest of the world, they were wealthy, right? And so the thing is, if we don't understand that, we buy into this lie that there's, we're poor, right, and that there are ultra-rich people, and we don't have to worry about that because surely there's nothing in our life that takes the place of God, right? But that's literally what idolatry is. Idolatry is just having an idol, having something in your life that has more importance than who God is. So here's the interesting thing about that parable. It wasn't about money. It was talking about money and how money works and some of the things about money, but it wasn't about money. It was about this guy who was morally good. He was doing really good things. He even said, he said, all the commandments you're talking about, I've done those things since I was a kid. I'm I'm there. I'm doing a good job. I'm a good person. So here's what the story revealed, that there was something in his life that he loved more than God. Part of what he loved more, more than God was the fact that he was a good person. Right? He thought about himself and said, you know what, I actually don't even have a need for God because everything that God's requiring of me, I'm actually doing that. I've been studying, as we in, kind of get into this series, I've been studying about what it means to win somebody to Jesus. You know, There's a massive culture around evangelism, about what it means to be missional, about what it means to follow Jesus, about what it means for you to get saved. Oftentimes at the end of a service in church culture, we'll, we'll close the service, we'll have everybody bow their head, close their eyes, and we'll say, hey, if you need Jesus, raise your hand. And we go through this thing, and I, again, I'm not against that necessarily. My challenge is, is that is not what Jesus did. Jesus, when he would come up upon someone, and including this guy, he did the same thing to all of his disciples. This man should have been one of the disciples. Had he made the decision to choose Jesus over the other things in his life, this man would have been a disciple of Jesus. So Jesus comes up and what he does is he says, hey, I, wanna, I want to show you something about your life. You think you're okay, but the first thing I'm going to point out is that you're not okay, <laughs> all right? I remember having my first t-shirt as a Christian because, you know, that's how you witness when you don't know how to witness is you wear Christian t-shirts. So my first Christian t-shirt said it was a picture of Jesus on the cross, and it was really bloody. It was really kind of controversial. I probably shouldn't have worn it. But it had this picture of a bloody Jesus on the cross, and it basically said underneath, if you're okay and I'm okay, then explain this. I was like, well, that'll get people's attention. No, I just made people mad, (laughs) right? I I never actually got a chance to share Jesus with anybody with that t-shirt. I just turned them off. They're like, who's this radical nutcase, and, you know, why is he wearing the bloody t-shirt, Right? We were in Britain, so that makes more sense why he's wearing the bloody t-shirt. Anyway, so here's the thing. There's gonna come a day in your life when Jesus is gonna point out something in your life that you love more than him. And if that hasn't happened yet, today's your day, (laughs) right? Part of me preaching into this is to get you see that there are potentially things in your life that you hold at a greater value than who Jesus is. Now, why does that matter? Part of the reason why that matters is is there is something that Jesus wants to give you. There is an inheritance that comes only through him it's, we were designed, we were created, we were made to be in relationship with God. And when we are not in relationship with God, every bit of the inheritance that God intended for our life is lost. We, we basically, we replace it with substandard things. We replace um, relationships, too often we replace relationships with sexuality. Relationships become just about what makes me feel good, whether it's, whether it's physical or emotional. And it never goes into what Jesus talked about, relationship where a man would love a woman and lay his life down for her. That's a different picture of marriage than the, what the world sees, right? And so uh, I remember this story that happened to me th- about laying things down. I was in, uh, I'd just come back from the military. I'd gotten out of the service on a hardship discharge. I was helping my dad with his business. It was a real challenging situation because my mom was, uh, had cancer and she was going through chemotherapy. And so we'd been there for several months. Things were kind of evening out. She wasn't out of the woods yet but they were kind of evening out. And God began to call Karen and I to go to Bible college, really to go out in California to be a part of a church where this Bible college was. And so we, we felt this call, and we just couldn't shake it. And so we knew God was doing this, so we, make, we started making plans. We had conversations with my mom and dad and said, hey, we're feeling this call to Bible college. We're going to go. We feel like this is what God's calling us to do. And then my uncles, my mom's brothers mainly, everybody in the family did this, but mainly my, my uncles came, and they literally lined up one after the other to have a conversation with me about what kind of horrible son I was to leave my mom in this condition. And my only reply, because I felt it, I felt what I was doing and how wrong that looked to my family and to the rest of the world. I, I felt it. Karen did too. And I, all I could say to them was, they would, they would grill me and they were angry at me, and I said, I don't know what to say to you except this, should I do what you're asking me to do or should I do what God's asking me to do? And you know what they said? Classic, what you probably would say, why would God ask you to do something like that? That doesn't make sense. And, and I couldn't argue, right? I couldn't argue with them because they had never in their life felt that call. What's really interesting, though, is my mom had. I didn't know this until years later. I mean, right before she passed away, I found out that this was, was, a, was something that happened to her when she was a teenager. She was at Moody Bible Church in Chicago, Illinois, and she was studying. She wanted to become a missionary. And she was starting down that path. And my, grand, my grandmother didn't like where she was going, didn't like what was going on, wanted her all, all to herself. It was just my grandmother was all kinds of broken. And she forbid her to go and be a part of that church anymore. And my mom was, she was a teenager, and, but eventually she became old enough where she could do what she wanted. And she regretted, she told me, she said, I regretted my whole life the fact that I let my, my mother tell me that, that she and my family were more valuable than what Jesus was calling me to do. And so I left, Karen and I left, and, and we left, and, you know, my family didn't like me very much when we left. And we went out and started Bible college, and I remember my dad would call from time to time, and he'd say, hey, listen, your mom's doing really, really bad, you need to come home. And I would just pray, because I'm like, I, I, my dad, I, I know he's not trying to lie to me, but at the same time, I'm asking God, God, I, I don't want to leave what you called me to, to, to go back to this if this is not something you're saying to do. I don't want to just do, do it because there's a need and that's the difference between submitting and surrendering to a God and submitting to a cause. It's not the same thing, submitting to a person. So I, 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 I would pray and i said, say, God, is it time to go home? And the Lord would say no. And then one time my dad called, no different. He sounded exactly the same on the phone. He said, hey, your mom's not doing well. You, 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 I think you need to come home. And as soon as he said that, the Lord said, it's time. And we got on a plane and quickly as we could, we got home and my mom, we, we ministered to her. We prayed with her. We got to connect with her. And, and within two weeks, she'd passed away. And and I remember standing outside after my mom passed. And what was amazing is we sat in the room as a family and and she waited. My brother was at a a, um, Bible study. He was praying for my mom and they had to go get him because it was getting to be that time. And they brought him in and she waited. She was struggled and she held on until my brother walked in the room. And right after my brother walked in the room, was able to say goodbye, that he loved her, she let go. And we all, every one of us felt the presence of God. In that room, come and take my mom home. So, you know, again, she had regrets about what she could or could not do with Jesus. But it didn't change God's love for my mom. And that's important. But also, it didn't allow her to walk into the promises that God had on her life, and she regretted her, her whole life. I remember walking outside praying. I said, Lord, I don't understand. You know, my mom's away now, and I, I just didn't know what to do. And I had this picture of my mom being on a, uh, uh, what do you call it, a, thank you, a safari, and she was somewhere where she was seeing amazing things, and she couldn't wait to tell me, but there was no phone. This was back before internet and all that. There was no way for her to connect with me, and yet she wanted desperately for to know the glory that she was seeing, and she just couldn't tell me. But one day, I would be there, and that day's sooner now than it was then, right? (laughs) And so at some point, I'm going to get to celebrate that with my mom. We're going to be together, and I'm going to get all that, but in the meantime, in the meantime, when we went out to California, Karen and I started a work during, during the time we were in Bible college in a little place just outside of the city where we were going to Bible college where the church was located. And, and we were reaching out to kids who, who'd never heard the name of Jesus. Some of them living in America had literally never heard the name of Jesus. And some of these kids, there was two little, two little kids that got saved. One was a little, they were brother and sister, one a little boy and one a little girl. Gave their life to Jesus, had an incredible encounter with God during a Sunday morning service that we were doing, just weeping, had this incredible encounter with God went home weeping to their mom and dad, and they said, why are you crying? And they said, because we're going to heaven and you're not, and we want you to be there with us. And it broke their mom and dad's heart, and their mom and dad came and became a part of that church, gave their life to Jesus, and before it was said and done, 30 people from that family gave their life to Jesus. And I'm just saying, when God said, I want you to go to California and go to Bible college, I didn't have any idea what that was gonna look like. But I promise you, there's 30 people in heaven right now, Right? that are really thankful that Karen and I heard the voice of God and we obeyed. And so there's going to come a time in your life, if it hasn't already, where God is going to show you there's something in your life you love more than him. And it doesn't mean that he's going to love you any less. It just means you have to make a decision. Are you going to really follow Jesus? Or are you just going to play the game that everybody plays in America? This is Matthew 10. It says, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. That's hard to hear, right? It's really hard to hear. And all really Jesus is saying is is in comparison to him. We forget this, that this is in context. He goes on. He's not saying you need to hate your mom and dad. He's just saying in comparison to what you do and your love for God has to come first. Another version, it says in Luke 14, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, right? Right? he says such a person cannot be my disciple. All he's saying is if you if you come this is what Diedrich Bonhoeffer Bonhoeffer said. He's a Lutheran pastor who he he fought against the Nazis and ended up dying in a prison, right? His life was taken. He was a martyr for Jesus. And he said he said Jesus bids you when he bids you come he bids you come and die. And the whole picture is is laying your life down, what your version of that life looks like. And this is what we always do. We always see our version of life is so much bigger than what God is asking of us. We're saying, Lord, do you see the sacrifice? And, and God's coming back with that, that response saying, do you see what the sacrifice is going to bring? And the answer is, I don't. And that's why it's so challenging for me to bring a sacrifice to the Lord, for me to lay my life down before Jesus. It's so challenging because like this rich young ruler, I love what I have. I love my life. Karen and I have a wonderful home. I've got a nice car. All these things, I thank God for That has not always been the case, and in the future, that may also not be the case. I don't do this because I have a nice house and a nice car. It's not what we do. Our decision to serve the Lord and to give everything that we have for him came long before we ever got good things or bad things. Paul said, I've learned to be content. with with what's great, what's amazing, what's powerful, steak. And I've also learned to be content with bologna sandwiches. Anybody ever ate bologna sandwiches? Some of you young people don't even know what I'm talking about. So your choice shows whether you are a fan or a follower when it comes to this decision. Jesus responded to Peter by letting him know that because of his surrender, God was going to multiply back to him way more than he ever surrendered. See, that's the part we forget. We do not have an eternal perspective. So we come into this and God's like, hey, I want you to I want you to choose this. I want you to lay your life down for this. I want you to serve this. Well, if I do that, I'm, my, my family's not gonna like me very much. If I do this, people are gonna think I'm weird. If I do this, and we, we come up with all the excuses as to why we can't surrender. And Jesus is saying, listen, I'm not asking you to do something that I'm not gonna reward you for. We forget that. We forget that it's oh, it's all about surrender, surrender, surrender. And it is. You have to make that decision. But the inheritance that you receive because you surrender your life to his is so, so much more powerful than, than what we, you would have otherwise. We've adopted a social media gospel. We look and like, but don't commit and follow. What defines the difference between a friend and a follower of Jesus or a fan and a follower of Jesus is surrender. But if you don't know who he is, if you don't know his kindness, you don't, love his, don't know his love and his mercy and his grace and his great love for you, you will choose a bowl of soup over your birthright. Think about that for a second. It's an incredible story from the Old Testament. You know, the brother comes in, and and he's so caught up with the now that he doesn't see an eternal perspective. And God's calling us to choose an eternal perspective. What you do here matters for eternity. It's not a small thing, what you give your life to. It's not a small thing at all. But here's the thing. Grace is the prerequisite. You will not obey. Hear this. Just write this down if you're taking notes. You will not obey, commit, or sacrifice for what you do not know. You won't do it. If if, if Jesus is calling, you will not sacrifice to him if you don't know who this Jesus is that's calling you. When Jesus walked up and he said to his disciples, lay everything down and follow me, it was not a small request. It was huge. But they had some sense. I promise you, they felt in his presence, they felt that this was going to be worth it. But they had to make a decision to lay down their life and pick up the one that he was giving them. It was a decision they had to make. This is Matthew uh, 25, 24. It says, Then the man who received one bag of gold came, and he said, Master, I knew that you were a hard man. This is a fascinating scripture to me. It's about, you know, it's about investing in the kingdom. The, the, the parable says this, that this guy comes, this ruler comes, and he gives these guys different levels. Of, this guy gets a lot, this guy gets a little, and somewhere in between, Right? And the one who gets a little bit, he said, instead of investing it, instead of trusting that the one who invested in him was going to help him reap a harvest, what he said was, I knew that you were a hard man. So here's a man who had no idea who this wealthy man was who had invested him. And he he goes on, listen to what he says. He goes on, you harvest where you've not sown and gathered where you've not scattered seed. He acted as if the man had not given him money, right? So the whole picture is, he's, he's, he's saying, God, you're a hard man, not even admitting the fact that the, the investment that he had to give wasn't even his to bring. God had given it to him in the first place, right? He goes on, he says, so I was afraid, and I went out and I hid your gold in the ground, so here's what belongs to you. And his master replied, you wicked, lazy servant, so you knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed. And he said, and then you went and did this. The picture Jesus is painting is this, this he often does this as contrast, people who are even wicked, like the judge who, who, who got sick and tired of the woman who kept knocking on his door, right? We, he, he paints a picture that if a judge, being this guy being wicked like he is, will hear this woman's cry, how much more will a God, a father who loves her, hear her cry, right? And Jesus is painting the same picture. He said, if you think this man was wealthy, right? How much more is the Father in heaven who owns the cattle on a thousand hills who wants to invest into your life? And he starts out with small things. And we say, you know, Lord, when I get a little more money, I'll start giving. I'll be generous, Lord, when I have a little more money. No, you won't. Generosity has nothing to do with how much money you have. It's how much money you're willing to give. It has zero to do with what you have, right? And we learn this. And Jesus said, if you are faithful in the small things, listen, I won't make you faithful in the large things. I'll make you ruler over the large things. It's always this beautiful contrast of this small little seed, this small little suffering, this small little sacrifice that you make that seems huge in your life, right? But it's literally nothing in the scheme of things. And how much God says, if you will give me that, I'll make something amazing out of it. And we see this throughout the scripture. To know Jesus is to love him. Most people just don't know who he is and they think of him as a hard man. So here's what's so amazing about this, this invitation to the disciples, to this guy and to the other disciples that none of them had it together when Jesus invited them to follow him. Not a single one of these guys had it together. He chose 12 ordinary people to change the world. Peter had emotional problems and a big mouth. (laughs) Judas was a backstabber, right? James and John were elitists and full of pride. But Jesus still invited them to follow him. At their worst, at their brokenness, in their brokenness, Jesus said, I want to invest in you. I see who you are. Who I say you are, you have been believing lies all this time, and you have amounted to not much. But I'm saying I want to invest in me. If you'll surrender yourself to me, give me your life. What you were doing with it was obviously not helping. What I'm going to do with it is going to change the world, right? Luke 14, 13. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, Jesus has no problem drawing in people who don't fit the the scheme of things. He chooses the weak. He chooses the small. He chooses the insignificant to make a difference in life. You see this throughout Scripture. It's never the person that Jesus is interested in. It's his willingness to let God work through his life. That's what changes the world around me. And it's amazing how he did. He's so much bigger. So come with your doubts. Come with your addictions. Come with your fear. Just come to Jesus and follow him. A famous preacher said, being a sinner doesn't disqual- disqualify you from following Jesus. It's the prerequisite. <laughs> right? Like your brokenness is, is the point. Jesus came and died on the cross because you needed it, right? That's the whole point. And so why in the world do we feel terrible about submitting ourselves to him? Philippians 1.6 says, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Most of you guys, you're in the middle of something, Right? Some of you guys are just starting something. Some of us maybe are closer to the end than we would like to admit, right? At least in this world. But wherever you are in this, Jesus is working through you. We've been going now as a, you know, as a church at DCF for 45 years. 45 years. Someone had a dream over 45 years ago and said, what if, you know, they tried to get plugged into another church with a bunch of 70s hippies that gave their life to Jesus, right? And for whatever reason, nobody wanted them, but Jesus wanted them, right? So here we are as a church from that, right? That's why everything's so casual at DCF, right? And then those casual people became the establishment, which is really funny, but that's another story for another day, right? (laughs) But Karen and I have been here 12 years, and we've been pouring in this. We believe in God. We're like, God, what about the harvest? What about the harvest? And we've been diligent. You've been diligent. You've been laying your life down. We're Like, Lord, you promise, your promise, your promise of the harvest and the promise of the harvest. While we were in Greenville, we got two words that was so specific about the harvest coming that there's gonna be an explosion of growth, that we've been laying a foundation for years and then God's gonna come and he's gonna honor what he put in our hearts, right? It's not you and I doing the work of it. It's you and I submitted and surrendered to him and said, God, what is it that you're doing that we can come alongside and be a part of? If you think you have to create evangelism and and mission, and you have to go out and win the harvest. If you think that's what you've been called to, you've missed what Jesus said. Jesus said, the harvest is already full. All you have to do is connect and be part of the Lord of the harvest. Be submitted to the one who directs your path and who, who tells you which direction to go. There's a voice behind you. Go this way, go that way. The whole idea is not that we can do this in our own strength. We never could. And even if we could, what would we get if we did it? We would be proud and arrogant, and that's what you see when people do it in their own strength. So God comes and he says, I want to change you. I want to transform you. That's what our mission, our vision is all about, being transformed by by walking into the presence of grace and the presence presence of his spirit. The presence of grace is to know how good he really is, not to be lied to anymore, that God is angry with you, that when you sin, he turns his face away from you because that is not what the gospel teaches us and to know the power of the Holy Spirit, that in one second, God can move by his power. He can heal. He still does that today. He can, he can set free. He can break bondages. He can break lies off people's lives in a moment's time. He can do it while we're worshiping and do it while I'm preaching. God can move in any way that he chooses fit. He wants to transform lives. He changed Mary Magdalene from demonically possessed to spirit-filled. He changed Simon Peter from being emotionally unstable to what he called a rock. Of faith, Imagine that. Jesus changed James and John from being hot-headed to being humble. He changed doubting Thomas from a skeptic to a martyr. Michelangelo was famous for when he would sculpt images of men like David and Moses, he would cut them out of raw stone and he would say, I don't, I don't create it, I chip away what should not be there. But What's fascinating is at some point he tried to create a statue of Matthew And he got so frustrated and angry, he quit, and he never finished the statue. Jesus is not like that. (laughs) Aren't you glad that he won't quit? He'll take away the things that don't belong there. He sees who you really are. He sees your identity. He sees the mess you're in, and he knows that you are not the mess, right? That there's something beautiful that's born out of this, and he won't quit in midstream. He won't stop. He won't come he won't stop he won't cease from coming to you in that sweet voice and going, "Hey, lay this down. This is the thing that hinders you. Lay aside the sin that so easily besets you. I want to talk to you about this relationship. I want to talk to you about this endeavor with your finances. I want to talk to you about some of the stuff you're watching on TV. I want to talk to you about these relationships whatever it might be is. He's saying, "I want you to lay that down." Not because I'm an angry stoic god who just wants my way. That's people. That's who people are. That's not who he is. If he asks you to lay something down, he has a purpose and a reason, and it's far greater than the thing that you're going to surrender. And that's the thing I want us to see. So here's what he does. He calls us to change, and then he changes us to call. There's this beautiful passage in 2 Corinthians. um, We call it reconciled to reconcile. Here's what God does in you, his plan in all of us this morning is to change us. He calls us to change. We, we come and we begin to follow him. We begin to see how amazing he is. That's the way we're able to lay down the junk that's in our life is we say, God, how silly it is, is it for me to chase after this stuff when what you're offering me is so amazing. But if you won't follow him, if you won't get close enough, you're not gonna hear that. You're not gonna see who he really is. This is um, 2 Corinthians 5. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. See, why are you here? Why are you here? Are you here just as an object for God to love? Yes, he created Adam and Eve, and he says, man, he loved them, and he walked with them in the cool of the day. He wants to be with them. And then the fall comes and lostness begins to happen. People are far from God. They're far away from God. And God calls the nation of Israel. He calls Abraham and he says, I'm going to make you a a great people. I'm going to invest in you. I'm going to pour my life out into you. I'm going to teach you who I am. I'm going to show you who I am and my greatness and my power and my strength and my love and my mercy and kindness so that you can reach the peoples of the earth. And so what does Israel do? They do the same thing that you and I do. God comes and saves me, and he changes my life, and then I look down my nose at all the broken people, right? And I say, look at that drug addict. I don't say it out loud. You can't say it out loud. You're in the South. We would ridicule you, right? (laughs) But we look down our noses at people who are broken and hurting and go, I just, I can't believe that they keep doing that. As if you never kept doing that, right? (laughs) And it humbles us when we see this. We go, Wow, God, when I begin to see, this is why, how do we forgive people who have hurt us? The only way, this is what the Bible says, the only way you can forgive anybody else is to see how Jesus has forgiven you, to see him accurately, what he's done on your behalf, what the cross actually did, his great love for you and rescuing you and taking you away from your selfishness and your brokenness and your sin. That's, That's the way you forgive somebody else. Say, wow, God, I look at how you've forgiven me, and it makes it easier, easier to forgive others. He goes on, he says, um, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. See, when I understood this, I really began to understand grace, that my mission now was to not tell people they were lost. People know they're lost, most of them, right? It was to tell them, God's not counting your sin against them anymore. What? That's good news. You know what I was sharing before? I thought I was supposed to share, if you were to die right now, where would you go? And, you know, it just makes people mad. It's like that T-shirt I had. It just makes people mad. They're like, I don't know, just wherever you're not going to be, that's where I want to be, right? I don't want to be with a religious fanatic and a jerk who who looks down their nose at me. I don't want to. And nobody does, right? That's what we hate about religion. And that's the challenge is God's not called us to religion. He's called us to a relationship with him that creates a relationship with brothers who don't know him. And that's the picture of the prodigal son. The, the young son comes back and he's lost and he's broken and he's got a mindset that the best he can hope for if he ever comes back to his father is to be a servant. And the, and the son who's been working for him the whole time, who was a good man like that rich young ruler, right? He was a good man. He did the work for the father. And he comes in and the fa- he says, you never killed a calf for me. And the father said, it was always available to you. Everything that I am as a father and who I am and what I have, My inheritance has always been for you, but you were too busy working for me to even get to know me. And that's what religious people do. And Then, when God shows kindness and favor to a person who doesn't know him, a person who's all kinds of broken and he gives grace and kindness, rather than look at that man and go, thank God my younger brother has been rescued, you look with arrogance. And this is what that that older brother said. He said, your son, not my brother, your son did this. You think about what God's doing in us. He's trying to change us and help us realize that if we've been forgiven, then our call now is to call other people to forgiveness. But you can't do that. It can't be rote. It can't be, you know, it can't be just words that you say. It can't be knocking on somebody's door and going through a script. It can't be that. It has to be someone who's actually followed Jesus that tells somebody else how to follow Jesus. And if you've never done that yourself, you're never going to know. He goes on, he has committed us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. He is making his appeal through us. We are Christ's ambassadors. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. See, something ought to grab our heart when we see someone who's unreconciled. And our heart needs to be not against the brokenness and the hurt and the pain that they're causing, don't get me wrong, there are boundaries, healthy boundaries for that in your life. If Someone burns you, you don't, you, listen, don't keep touching the hot thing. That's unwise, right? S-s- just seal yourself off from it to some degree. But if you don't have a relationship with broken and hurting people, how are you ever going to help people who are broken and hurting? And the answer is you're not gonna. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness, righteousness of God. We are changed by being near him. And here's the challenge. As we are being discipled, God calls us to make disciples. He did not tell us to go preach the gospel and go make converts. All those, those things are going to happen. He called us to go and make disciples, teaching them everything that you learned about me. And, and he goes on and says, I'm with you always. In other words, God is still talking to us through Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. So let me read you this passage in Matthew four eighteen. It says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and they followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing the nets and Jesus called them, and listen to this, and immediately they left the boat and their father and they followed him. See, that's the picture. The definition of the word left in that passage is amazing. It literally means to let go of oneself. See what happened? They are in. They're, they thought, here's what they thought. They thought that they were fishermen because they'd grown up. Their, their dad was a fisherman. They'd grown up in a village that was all, I mean, they lived right by the lake. Of course they're fishermen. That's what they do. Jesus said, you have built your Identity out of the thing that you've been doing, and what I've been trying to help you understand is the thing you've been doing is showing you the identity that I've called you to. Do. This is a promise. You fishing for fish is a picture of what I've actually called you to do, which is fish for men. And they missed it. They missed it. So often they missed it. They, as a matter of fact, you find out that that's true because at some date they went back and tried to go fishing again, and then Jesus meets them on the, on the shore of Galilee one more time before he goes off and, and he goes to heaven and sends him on this journey. And he's walking with Peter, and, and, Peter, and John, John is walking behind him, and Jesus looks and, and he says, he, you know, what are you, this guy's going to be with me until the end. They, they thought what he meant was he's going to live forever until Jesus comes back. And Peter said, you know, why are you saying that about John? I'm paraphrasing. Why are you saying that about John? And Jesus looks Peter dead in the eye, and he says, I'm, what do you care? What, what is it to you that I do this with him? I'm talking to you. And see, this is where it gets personal. We so often, the Bible says, we judge things by other things. We judge ourselves by one another. We look at somebody else and go, look, they have a little more money than me. They have a nicer house than me. Whatever this." we judge ourselves by other people around us. We've always done this. We do this with our sin. I'm not nearly as bad as that guy. So somehow that makes me better. The, 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 the challenge to that is we don't define ourselves, right, by what anybody else has done. We define ourselves by who God says we are or are, or are not. And so there's this beautiful picture, this is 2 Corinthians 10, it says, we don't dare classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. He's talking about people who came in and said they were preaching the gospel, but weren't necessarily. He goes, when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they're not wise. What Jesus is saying, there's, it's such a small part of your identity to compare yourself with everybody else. Let me ask you this, when someone comes to you and says something that upsets you or offends you or hurts your feelings, why does that happen? Why does that happen? When someone comes and says, you know what? You, you're, you're never going to be anything. This happens when we're kids. This is what the enemy tries to do when we're kids. He uses our parents even to do this. You're never going to amount to anything. Why does he say that? Because if, if the enemy can get us to believe a lie about ourselves when we're young, it's, if, it's, if we're not careful, it cements it into our identity, and we begin to believe that that's true about us. When I, I've shared this story a million times. When I was little, maybe eight or nine, on a trip with my, my mom and my aunt, she looked at my mom and she said, does he ever shut up? And my mom said, no. And I remember that because it traumatized me. I didn't know it did. But you know what it did? It spoke to my identity It said, you know what? Talking is bad. You should never do that. But I couldn't help myself. You know why? Because God made me to talk. He made me to speak. This is part of the calling and the gifting I am. Now, don't get me wrong. If I use it in selfish ways, it's not helpful. It would have been so nice if my aunt and my mom had said that. Buddy, and maybe they did, but I don't remember. They could have said, buddy, listen, I love that you like to talk. I think God made you like that. He made you like that. You're supposed to. But you have to learn how to not just talk about you, <laughs> right? I would have said, okay, that hurts, <laughs> right? But I get it. But it traumatized me. Why? Because the enemy was saying, if I could get him while he's young, and so many of you, I promise you, so many of you are dealing with the scars of your youth where the enemy came and said, I'm going to define you by something. By brokenness, I'm going to define you because your, your mom or your dad left, and so you're worth leaving. That's who you are. People leave you. And you see it, and then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy in your life, and you see relationships come and go. I talked to a guy the other day, and he was talking about we, we were at the dog park, and he had this cute little dog. And it was awesome. He was trained it, and he starts telling me a story. And, like, I'm, I'm not even kidding. He goes, every dog I get dies. I think maybe that's just not for me to have dogs. I'm like, dude, dogs don't live as long as we do. I'm like, you know, it's common sense, right? Of course your dog's going to die. <laughs> like, you want that to happen. I'm just telling you. I mean, it's bad. But otherwise, you're the guy who's... And, but you know what he was doing? He was defining himself as somehow I cause any good thing that comes into my life gets taken away. That is who I am. And everything inside of my heart, Just and I didn't have enough relationship to kind of, and I wanted to. But here's part of the challenge is as we build into our own lives, into the lives of others, it's not about sharing Jesus with other people, knocking on the door and go, if you were to die right now, where would you go? It's about you first following Jesus, really following Jesus to the point where he says to you, he comes and he says, hey, this thing that you have made an idol, this thing that you have says you even say is your identity. So often, right now, we see it with sexuality. Sexuality is becoming the thing that you identify with. My pronouns, you see this all over the place. My pronouns, what is that? That's an identity that God has not given you. It's stepping away from the identity that God has tried to pour into your life. And and it doesn't matter. It can be, you know, it can be, I'm a player. That's also an identity that God did not put in. Even if you're straight, it's got nothing to do with any of that. Is that have everything to do with I have taken this one small part of my humanity and I have tried to define myself by it and define the rest of the world with it. And Jesus will not have it. When we let go of our natural life, God replaces it with a supernatural one. Little did these early disciples know that laying their life down on the shores of Galilee, laying down their job as a fisherman where they could become fishers of men, that one day, Those men were going to stand before kings, and they were literally going to change the world. In the book of Acts, it says of the disciples, the men who turned the world upside down have come here also. You don't say that about someone who's not surrendered their life to Christ. If we're going to make a difference in people's lives, if we're going to make a difference in our own, if we're going to have happiness and fulfillment and satisfaction in our own souls, we have to let Jesus define us. And if we let anything try to define us that Jesus hasn't defined us with, we have to cast that thing out. If he comes to you and says, you know what? You're, you're broken and you're never going to get any better. It's a lie. Jesus changes people in moments. You watch through all of his stories, all the stories of the New Testament. He would walk up on somebody and he would find the linchpin, the one thing that when he took it out, it's like Jenga, he would yank that block out and the whole lie around their lives would just come crumbling down. Not only will he do that with you, but he's going to do that through you. And that's the picture of what it means to follow. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you. See, we keep trying to become something. We, that we, we get it wrong. We say, you know, if I, if I do all the right things, if I make changes in my life, then I can follow Jesus. And Jesus is like, you don't understand how this works. The whole idea is if you follow me, the change will come. Why? Because the closer you get to me, the more you're going to see, first of all, who I am and I'm, I'm going to begin to remind you of who you are. There's this famous song from the, from the 80s, Christian song about the devil, and he says when the devil reminds you of, of your past, you just remind him of his, of his future, right? <laughs> and the picture is it's not a moment that we're dealing with. When you step back and you have a picture of eternity, it changes the way you process everything. When you see people in light of eternity, you see something differently. You see the offense that they bring, means zero in the light of eternity. When you're you're hanging around somebody, and I've shared this before, if we're going to see people come to know Jesus, because here's the thing, the promise that God has over us is this promise of an explosion and a harvest. That We've been building foundations, and some of the words over us is part of the foundations had to be built practically, had to get ready so that when people come, they would come into a healthy and a whole place. We've been doing that steadily, We've been aiming for that. We've been building according to what the the Lord has said. We've been very intentional about what we haven't done and what we've done. Why? Because when we build this well, Jesus is going to come, and when people come into it, they're going to come into wholeness. One of the promises is that people would walk through that door in a meeting on a Sunday morning, and it would be like walking into a new country. The laws are different. The culture is different. Everything is different. What applied to them out there is no longer going to apply to them here. It means change is coming. But let me say this. You're never going to see anybody change if you are not changing. You're never going to see anybody follow Jesus if you are not really following Jesus. My challenge to you is that there's got to be something more than just coming to church, reading your Bible, giving a little bit of money here and there. There's got to be something more. Jesus, when he comes, what he'll do is he will reveal your heart. And here's the kicker. He already knows your heart. God's not revealing your heart so he can know. He knows. He's revealing your heart so that you can see accurately what needs adjustment, what needs change, what needs transformation. So let me ask you this question this morning. What has your heart? What has your heart this morning? Is it money? Is it the desire to have enough? Is it desire for fame? I want to to be known. I want to be popular. I want people to think well of me. Is it ease? I just, I'm just tired of hard work. I'm tired of it being so hard. It's so difficult. You hear this constantly on the internet with the newer generation. It's like, I, it's hard to adult. Stop. <laughs> right? Stop. The reason why it's hard being an adult is because you're an adult that's not surrendered to Jesus. Of course it's hard, right? You're living in a world that God created and you're not playing according to his rules. Why would you think it wouldn't be hard? He wants to change us. This is Ecclesiastes 1. It says, The words of the teacher, son of David, this is the beginning of the wisest man on earth. This is what he said. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. You talk about a nihilist version of the world that nothing is worth living for. All I can do is just kill myself, and in the last couple of years, you've seen suicides go through the roof. Why? Why? Because you think it wasn't worth living before. What about in COVID? Now, what about in COVID and a war? Potential World War III where nukes are coming. Of course, people, are. their hearts are gonna be full of fear, right? And I'm just telling, I'm being as honest as I can about this. Not one single time since COVID came on and since any of this happened, has there been fear in my heart about what's gonna come? Not because I know what's gonna come, but it's because I know what's gonna come, <laughs> right? In other words, it doesn't matter whether, whether COVID takes me out or whether a war takes me out or I, I, I lay down you know or kneel down in front of my bed at 105 years old and want a bunch of people to Jesus, and that's when I go home or, or in my sleep. It doesn't make one single difference how that turns out. Years ago, 35 years ago, I knelt down in front of the Lord and I said, I've tried everything else. I may as well give you a shot, and at some point I really, meant that, and I began to follow him. People ask me sometimes, they're like, what are you going to do as culture changes, and all of a sudden it becomes, you know, uh, it becomes illegal to say some of the things that you're saying from Scripture? I said, what do you mean, I'm gonna, what am I going to do? I made that choice 35 years ago. So whether that happens or where, whether it doesn't, the Lord says for us to pray, pray for our city, pray for the nation, pray for our leaders. Why? Because it matters, right? I don't want to go through things I don't have to. If God could have called me to prayer. But at the same time, when it's all said and done, my decisions have already been made. And part of my heart is, God, I want to be used more. I want to have greater impact. And part of that is there's got to be a boldness that comes. That where you're ready to say to somebody, hey, listen, I'd like to talk to you about the real thing in your life. You're not, listen, you're not going to be able to do that in an elevator, and you're not going to be able to do it on the street. People will turn you off too fast. You're going to have to build relationships with people who don't know Jesus. You're going to have to. And that means you're going to have to learn how to deal with the F word. You're going to have to learn how to deal with broken people who are completely selfish and they're going to take advantage of you. And you're going to have to love them anyway. Because you're going to have to see them through eternity. You're going to have to call them because you've been reconciled. You now get to reconcile them. Call them to reconciliation. They have to make the choice. But unless we build real relationships with people who don't know Jesus, this harvest the Lord is promising us is never going to come. There is a co-laboring part that you and I do that we have to do. It's our call. We have to make that choice or the Lord will pass over us and choose another generation or another group of people. And you see that throughout the book. So we're going to be talking about this. As we get into this, we're going to talk about Follow what it means to follow, to be a disciple and make disciples. And let me close with this. There's an interview I caught online um, with an actor. If I told you who he was, you'd know him. But he wasn't big, and then a recent series he did, he became really, really popular, and they're going to make more series about this. Anyway, ask me later, and I'll tell you personally. But the reason I'm doing this is because he tells a little bit about himself in the interview. He said, no one told me that when I got to the top that it was going to be like this. The guy goes, what do you mean? He goes, it's more of the same. He said, I thought when I got to the top, I would be happy, I would be fulfilled. He said, I I just knew if I had enough money, I would be happy and I would be fulfilled. He said, and I I sat in a psychiatrist's office, and he diagnosed me as bipolar. And he said, and I screamed at him, got up and ran out, said, that's not who I am, you don't get to tell me. (laughs) He said, I was all kinds of broken. And he said, and I had a vision. He's not a Christian, but he said, I had a vision of my kids when they were older, saying to me now, Dad, we need you. And he said, it makes me want to change, but I don't know how. And my heart breaks because here's a man, on the he's in a moment where, as a believer, someone who has a relationship with this guy could come to him and say, I have an answer for that. Let me tell you my story and how he did that for me and how he changed me. And if you would like that, he can do the same for you. And so we're going to see people who come into our life we're very broken because you have to make a choice that if you have been reconciled, that now you exist to reconcile others to Christ. It's why you're here. We've been, we've been blessed with amazing, the goodness of God. Our worship is amazing. The love in this community is amazing. People, anytime there's a need, the need is met. Man, this is an amazing community. And God is saying, because I've made it amazing, because you're following me, now I want to take this, what you have, And I want to bring it to people who are broken who don't have it. But let me just say that. It's on you and it's on me to make that choice to build those relationships. We don't have to create anything. Jesus says the harvest is full. It's ready. It's white. It's ready. All you have to do is listen to me. Be close to me. Hear what I'm saying. When you're connecting with someone, God says, hey, I want you to build a relationship with them. Just say yes. I I know it's going to be challenging. Hold healthy boundaries for your family. Don't let them damage your kids. You understand what I'm saying. But at the same time, build a relationship with them because you've been reconciled so that you can reconcile others. will not you stand with me? Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, are you tired? This is the message version, my favorite. It says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me. Or the original version says, follow me. And you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest walk with me and work with me watch how i do it learn the unforced rhythms of grace i won't lay anything heavy or ill fitting on you jesus we just come to you right now and say thank you lord that in our brokenness in our hurt in our pain lord you have come and for most of us you have you have reconciled us you have rescued us you've shown us what it means to be loved in the in the depths of our hurt and our pain and our brokenness lord when we were When we were the most like sinners, you said when we were the greatest in our sin, Lord, that Jesus died for us, that you died for us. And so, Lord, we say thank you. Lord, if there's anybody this morning in the sound of my voice that has not made you, Lord, and, God, you are tugging on their heartstrings, Lord, I pray this morning that they would hear your voice, not mine, but hear your voice, saying, come and follow me. Make this decision today. Choose me today. And I'll come, I'll sit down with you, I'll sup with you. Your word says, I'll I'll have dinner with you, I'll eat with you, I'll fellowship with you, I'll connect with you. And you'll teach them, Lord, about who you are and what you've called to them. And you will pull them out of the darkness, Lord, as your word says, and you will place them in the light of your dear son. And so, Jesus, we just trust you for that and trust you as we go into this future, Lord. Though it's unknown out there, Lord, that the call that you've given this church is to bring people to you, to reconcile those who have been unreconciled. And Jesus, we say yes to that and all that it means. In your name we pray. Amen. This morning, if you need prayer, we would love to pray for you. Our ministry team is going to be down front, so if you'd like prayer, come on down. If you need prayer online, just connect connect on our uh, website and uh, click on that button that says prayer, and we'll get one of our pastors in touch with you. Otherwise, have a wonderful week. We love you guys.